We're living through a time which is taking its toll on everyone in different ways. We can all feel scared, alone and confused. And that's okay. Right now, we all need each other more than ever. And in the weeks and months ahead of us, we will all have an important role to play in being there for one another. Whether you're uniting in applause on a Thursday night, smiling at a neighbour's rainbow-filled window, or listening to the radio at home or at work, remember, you're not alone. We're all connected. And sometimes just talking about how you're feeling can make a big difference. So right now, let's join together across the UK and reach out to someone. If you're struggling, it's important to talk about it. Or if you know someone who is acting differently, it's okay to ask how they are. Use this moment to send a message. Because we're all connected. And you are not alone. Lord save the Queen! So we're going to start the show not with our good friend, Royal Editor Russell Myers. He will be joining us a little bit later on, but instead it will be actually a very familiar voice because he is the man who announces the show every week, Richard Innes, our town crier. Welcome back. Hello, yes. How many times have I been? Well, I was going to say how many times have I been on the podcast, but I suppose every single episode, just at a slightly different kind of volume, different tone. Yes, please yeah. no shouting. We don't, <laughs> I don't think you our don't levels will be right free, for that. Uh, you don't want a free kind of bellow of Pod Save the Queen. Actually, well, I no, have I've got a baby okay. asleep next door. My wife will kill me. Oh, yeah, don't do that. So, in fact, what a perfect segue, because the last time that you were on with us, it was when Prince Harry had just come out full of the joys of being a dad for the first time. And you were with us in your guise as co-host of the First Time Dads podcast. Um, mm mm-hmm a little over a year ago, How Time Flies. And then, in fact, you did send us a lovely... Oh, no, you did some announcing for our 100th episode. So thank you. Thank you for that. And we had all of the lovely messages from past guests. So that was great. But Yeah, your reaction made that very worthwhile, by the way. That was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think that is still... The video is still on Twitter or Instagram somewhere. I was quite delighted and rather surprised. So it was very, very lovely. Um, but the reason that you're on the show today is we are looking at... Um, mental health. Uh, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. And um, when I was looking on our website at work to see who are the mental health first aiders that we have at work, and can I persuade one of them to come onto the show and talk about what it involves and why it's important and that kind of thing, I saw your lovely beaming face and I thought, oh, how perfect. I can have Richard <laughs> back on the show and we can hear about why it matters. So, Mental health has been a, you know, a big focus for William and Kate and, and Harry's worked on it as well. Um, and it, it has felt like they have really driven the conversation forward. If you didn't catch last year's show, then it is worth um, listening back to that, listeners. Uh, we had Gemma Sherlock, who, who's really on fine podcast, has just been nominated for another award. So she was on talking last year about her own mental health experience and why what the royals do matters but this time around it is Richard's turn um how long have you been a mental health first aider and what actually is it uh not very long to be honest with you Anna. Uh, it's what maybe a matter of we did it not long before lockdown actually so the training uh there was there was a kind of call went out across the business really it, are people interested in this um in becoming mental health first aiders and it was something that I that feels quite close to my heart now um for a whole variety of reasons really but yeah i, I kind of jumped at the opportunity so what 
I suppose what it, it's worth saying with mental health first aiders and the thing that's drummed into you over the course of this training is you are not a medical professional. As a mental health first aider, you are not there to treat mental health conditions. You are not there to identify mental health conditions. What you are there to do is you're, you're essentially a support network and you're the first port of call. You're, you're there, hopefully, uh, to make people feel comfortable enough to come forward if they feel they need to talk about something or perhaps to start a conversation with someone who you might suspect is, is struggling with something. You are not there to diagnose. You are not there to, um, to kind of offer medical advice. A lot of the time it can just be the pro getting the process started for someone. So persuading someone maybe that they need to speak to their GP or taking those first steps or checking that they've got the support they need. It's and a lot of the time it is just about listening. I think the, the key part of the training for myself and a lot of the other guys within the business who did it was the surprise you get at learning how to listen, which sounds like the most obvious thing, you know, you, that anybody, anybody would say that. But the amount of times I've heard people, including myself, I'd say, oh, I'm a good listener. You know, I've always thought of myself as a good listener because, uh, which, which is because, you know, I like talking to people. That's not the listening. <laughs> Having a good conversation with someone is not listening. And what is fascinating about the training as a mental health first aider is you are taught literally how to listen. And it is so difficult. We had, we had to do a few different um, scenarios, a few different run-throughs uh, where you were, asked, you, know, you were kind of put in this position as if someone was approaching you to discuss something they were struggling with from a mental health perspective. And there are all sorts of tools and tricks and, uh, and things you can do to try and you know, allow someone to speak. And it's so different to having a conversation. A conversation is, I'm waiting for my turn to talk. That is not what you are doing as a mental health first aider. It's a, re it's a really interesting experience. And one that uh, I think a lot of people would benefit from, actually, regardless of being a mental health first aider or not. So, yeah, it's, it's something that I first came across a couple of years ago when I met a, a friend outside work who's been really involved with that. And she's a she's a mental health first aid trainer. But I think it's, um, I guess, becoming increasingly common, hopefully, in people's mm. workplaces. And I think, you know, I think it's a great thing that we do have it. Um, at reach which the mirror is part of and this podcast is is part of so you you mentioned that it was close to to your heart about it like I know you you've been on Gemma's show as well yeah. talking about your your mental health and what it means yeah, to yeah, you. Been, what's your situation I've been quite open about it in the past I mean I think um I think I'm probably quite I'd like to say I'm probably quite reflective of the change in society that you sort of referenced at the start there and the way things have the the way things have changed and the perspectives around mental health because if i think if you'd have come to me five to ten years ago um or say yeah say like a decade ago i would have probably been one of those people that was yeah yeah i understand people have mental health problems yeah yeah i understand that some people get depressed but you know it's not really like it's not really something that affects a lot of people and no no i'm, I'm not i'm not that sort of guy and blah 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 and actually there were certain things nothing dramatic nothing huge you know nothing kind of newsworthy but there were certain things that happened to me um, or things I became aware of, issues I might, uh, I was having, with certain, you know, anger, frustration, maybe drinking too much. But things that a lot, a lot of people um, would recognize. And in the end, I went and had some therapy and I, and I was in therapy for three or four years. Um, saw a lot of benefits from it, a lot of frustrations as well. It wasn't all perfect, um, as these things never are. But I learned a huge amount about myself. I learned a huge amount about how to how to essentially cope better with my own mind, uh, with my own issues. 
And as you say, like I, uh, I went on No Really I'm Fine and did an entire episode, which was essentially just rambling on for 45 minutes about my experience, which seemed to be quite well received, which was nice. Um, but it just, it, it's funny how it, it's only when you kind of look at yourself in the mirror and think, well, actually, do you know what? Maybe there are certain things that I need help with. And I think that's what I mean about being hopefully reflective of the change is that I'm now very aware that everybody has mental health issues. And that's the point, I think. And I think, you know, to sort of talk about Harry and William for a second, I think that's probably what they've helped with in, a, in, in all sorts of ways is having people understand that having mental health issues does not mean you need psychiatric treatment. It does not mean you are clinically depressed. Those things happen, sadly, and there's a lot of people who suffer with those things. But everyone is on the mental health spectrum. You know, it may be, it may be that your issues are quite minor, but that doesn't mean you don't have them. You know, in the same way that everyone is somewhere on a physical health spectrum, maybe you need to lose a little bit more weight. Maybe you suffer with, with certain things. Maybe you're lactose intolerant, whatever it might be. Everyone, you know, you, you, have, you have physical health issues of some description or another. It doesn't mean that you're, you know, you're severely, um, you, you have severe issues, but there will be some. And it's exactly the same thing with mental health. You don't have to be clinically depressed or in need of um, emergency assistance to be someone who is suffering with mental health problems and what do you think it has meant that the royals have got involved with this because you know it like i feel that it's changed the way it has changed the conversation and it is normal to talk about things like do you does it matter that these public figures are wanting to drive this change i I think so because well there's there's a number of things there really in that I suppose maybe the perception of the royal family is, you know, the they in some respects for some people they'll be the ultimate reflection of that kind of British stiff upper lip. You know, that's that that's what they stand. That's in the minds of many people. That's what they stand for. You know, um, old-fashioned Britishness. And so to have two of the the most high-profile royals there are um, from the younger generation, you know, stepping forward and saying, no, no, it's actually okay to talk about these things. Um, you know the the idea that a generation ago you'd have had Prince of Wales talking openly about mental health problems. You know, forget it. Of course, that wouldn't happen. So it does show that things are moving in the right direction. I think the fact that you know, I mean, William's done so much work with footballers. I think there's a, I think there's a real crossover there as well, in the sense that when you have, you know, whether it be high profile members of the royal family or high profile high profile footballers, these are people who most ordinary folk look at and say, look how privileged they are. Look how much money they've got. Look at all those material things they've got. Look at all the privilege. And would say, well, what, what, how could they possibly have be depressed, you know, in inverted commas? Um, and actually what it shows is that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your situation is. It doesn't matter where you are. You know, you've got, there are so many footballers who have come forward in recent years, um, partly through, you know, partly because of people like William, who've been, and they've been able to come out and talk about their, their mental health issues. And it just shows it doesn't it doesn't matter. You could be earning a hundred thousand pounds a second. You know, it doesn't mean you're not going to suffer with mental health issues um, because it is a health issue. It's not. It's not about whether you're feeling down in the dumps. You know what I mean? It's it's a, it's a lot more complicated than that. So, I think when you have people in these positions of, of enormous privilege, which you know Harry and William are very you know honest about, um, when when they're stepping forward and saying, look, we suffer with this as well. You know, because obviously they've been through. The pair of them have been through an enormous tragedy as very young boys. Um, and, you know, again, it doesn't matter what, what property they live in, how many rooms there are in their house, how many staff they have. None of that uh, changes your mental health. 
or affects your mental health. It is what it is. And, and so the fact that they can come forward and talk about these things as openly as they do, I think makes an enormous difference. I think it is fair to say that um, one of the things around Harry and Meghan's departure and stepping back from their roles in the royal family, you know, people have been su supportive of a perspective of, you know, if this is a thing that is not making you happy and not healthy for you, then you do need to change it. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think, I, you know, I, th I think that's very true. I think you've got to, um, the only person that can really affect your mental health or what you want to get to the point anyone should want to get to is that the only person who can affect your mental health is you. You know, you can't, you can't allow, um, you can't allow it to be controlled by external factors. I'm a big believer in that. You've got to kind of decide yourself. No, this is, this is my, it's my mind. It's my life. It's my body. And you've got to, you've got to figure out the best way to make it work for you, I think. And you mentioned you'd done your training just before the lockdown yeah. came in. Um, how are you, well, have you been called into action yet? And is it, is it because of the lockdown? Are you, do you think that is affecting you and other people and sort of some of these issues are possibly coming out in different ways? Well, the irony is that since the lockdown and we, we have sort of regular catch-ups, those of us who are trained as mental health first aiders in our particular part of the business, and we kind of have a regular catch-ups to see if, if anyone's had any, any, uh, any contact from people or anything like that. And actually it's been, uh, we have not had anybody come forward, which has been really surprising because like you, I would have thought this would have been the case. And we were sort of speculating about, well, why is that? Why, why hasn't anybody come forward? And maybe it is just that people feel that this is not the time for it. Or so I, I don't know, maybe there's a, the idea that this is, everyone's in the same boat, so everyone's suffering. So therefore, it's not, it's not a big deal that I'm having these mental health issues. But, I, I, you know, that, that would worry me if, if that's if that's the outlook because while I can understand that the idea that oh it's just you know I'm only feeling like this because I'm, we're in lockdown and therefore it's not worth addressing and it'll all be better once I come at once we get out of this situation I can I could I can certainly empathize with that and I can see why people would think that way but I think it's also a slightly dangerous road to go down because these things can snowball so I think if people are having issues you know it is you do need to talk you do need to talk to other people and when you're locked in a house and you're not seeing people you're not seeing friends you're not seeing family it's just so important that you continue to contact people and communicate with people whether it be a mental health first aid or just a friend you know that you need to share the load with a little bit i think it's really really important well richard thank you so much for joining us i know it's a busy week you've got there's various sort of initiatives and things going on with our work to try and um put the focus back on mental health for a bit and yeah, sort of emphasize yeah, the things that are going on but um it's been great to hear you and your actual voice <laughs> rather than just <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm, not, I'm not just a bellower although i have been considering whether we should set up like a birthday service where you could do like birthday bellows for people we have to contact my agent on that one i'm afraid <laughs> <laughs> well great to great to talk to you richard thanks for joining us and speak no soon problem. cheers so russell myers welcome back royal editor of the mirror not the first man in my podcast this week i'm afraid that that honor went to richard Innes, but it's great to have you with us this week how are you hello i'm very well how are you I'm all right, thank you. And the sun is shining and that is a good thing. I think I'm also probably looking forward to a long weekend, which is a nice place. To I, it's holiday. another bank holiday. On Monday, I only found this out this morning. <laughs> what this day is, is it? <laughs> I, I, it is Thursday and this is why I need a diary. Well, and what's I'm, the point I'm, of a diary in current? I know, 
I mean, I'm constantly arguing with you about putting things in my diary because it annoys me. <laughs> and, now, and now I've just proven the point of why I need one. So, yeah, Thank a bank you. holiday upcoming. Upcoming. But this, so this week we've um, already talked a little bit with Richard about uh, the mental health side of things from his perspective. But it, the Royals have been pretty busy this week, as we expect. It's quite, it's quite a big week for them now, traditionally, Mental Health Awareness Week. And they kicked it off in sort of quite major style really on Monday and um, which you will have heard at the start of the show. Yeah it has been um uh, like you say rightly that it is a big focus for them in the year uh, mental health awareness week they've certainly got uh, a lot of um strand separate um charities to do with mental health and they they were making history again during the week they were they recorded um a, a historic sort of 60 second radio message broadcast for the first time on all UK radio stations, which apparently went out to about 20 million people. And that was uh, Duke and Duchess of Cambridge getting involved with uh, England football captain Harry Kane, the singer-songwriter Dua Lipa. I think that's how you say her name. Um, the, the, actor, kid, the cool kids know about Dua Lipa. The cool kids. Like <laughs> Not that. us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> then there was Doctor Who, David Tennant, uh, former, day, former uh, Doctor Who, actor who our good friend Daniel, our producer, will know very well, and uh, heavyweight boxing champion Anthony Joshua. Now, they were part of this campaign to essentially say to everyone, you know, we are, we all need to stay connected. We're living in a very, very unprecedented time, as we all know, and now we need to, to you know, it's really important to join together and reach out to someone that you know, um, or that you may think is feeling a little bit under the weather with their mental health, or maybe hasn't checked in with you for a while. And, um, and it, it went, it went swimmingly well, actually. I think it was all, you know, trailed on sort of the radio stations first of all and then uh, and then it was given you know fantastic shows across all of the media so again what the i think mean, sometimes it feels like the, the the mental health aspect of their work can be a bit samey but i think hats off to them that they are switching up they're doing things that you know with different broadcasters with different uh, ways of getting celebrities or sports personalities involved such as this project um, and then you have also the the new scheme, which is called Our Frontline, which again, for the first time, another bit of history made. They've got, um, William and Kate have got all the major sort of mental health charities in the UK to come together for the first time and uh, to create a platform, um, whether it's through the internet or through text messaging or people actually manning the phones, uh, for, to help frontline workers um, who are obviously dealing with the coronavirus, coronavirus crisis. So there's an, there's an awful, awful lot that, a, that is on their plate at the moment. And it just tells you the way that they are um, seeming to be, to be moved by, um, by the coronavirus crisis as well. We had actually yeah, um, a feature in the paper this week and on the website, I'll make sure I tweet it again, actually, which was in conversation with Shout and kind of experiencing the messages that they're getting from frontline workers dealing with working in hospitals or paramedics or what have you dealing you know dealing with coronavirus and the load that they are taking on themselves quite often to try and shield their families from it or to try and continue functioning and this you know shout was launched just over a year ago i think we probably spoke about it on the equivalent broadcast 
last mm-hmm. year and certainly when we had the, um, the the young people came to visit with the next gen uh, the next gen group um, they were talking about it and sort of did did some texting to and fro with Prince William in in a shout style about the project itself but you know just that sort of being able to reach out anonymously at a time of great stress is hugely valuable to people I mean f- firstly I can't believe that was a year ago it doesn't it doesn't seem that long ago that we had uh, you know our next generation of um, young reporters in and sort of listeners to this show will, will hopefully remember that that really great project that, that you know, the mirror did getting the kids involved William being involved with it as well to to, to launch shout um, and this week he was you know drawing on his own experience he was talking about from his time at the air ambulance uh, he said I, I, I think he said something I, I know all too well about the, how determined the front line workers are and and almost how they can be guilty of sort of shying away from talking about their mental health because they are so ingrained in what is going on at the moment and I think especially when you think back to his comments about his time in the air ambulance that he felt vulnerable that the uh, periods of time where he was dealing with our you know road traffic collisions involving children especially had brought him to the brink I remember him saying um and that obviously is, is, does help a lot of people to, to try and quantify their own mental health or what they are suffering. So um, I, I, I'm sure it will, um, will help an awful lot of people, um, hopefully in the future, because it's going uh, to be ongoing through, throughout the crisis and beyond. And it's something that we, I guess, see the power of the royal family is that ability to bring, whether it's different charities together or different celebrities together, because probably if you get a phone call from the royal family to say, you know, we'd like you to help us out with this project that we're doing for Mental Health Awareness Week, if you possibly can. And there's probably not a lot of excuses for not doing stuff really at the moment while you're in while you're in lockdown. Um, then then you're going to say yes. And I have to say thank you to them for giving me David Tennant's lovely voice on a Monday morning <laughs> while I was listening to it. I could listen it's to his voice for days. Tones. Yeah. I'm not so sure about his lockdown haircut, which I saw on Have I Got News For You recently. But his Everyone's voice... got a lockdown barnet going on at the moment, though, haven't they? I mean, it's... Uh, look, at look, mine's, mine's growing over my ears. I'm going to have some, some sort of mullet going on by the time we see each other. That's exactly what my husband said this morning, <laughs> that he's getting a mullet. I do keep offering to cut his hair, and he has not been... Uh, he is not agreeing no, this situation. And given the job that I did on our front hedge when I chopped it up <laughs> in the week, I can possibly understand why. But there we go. Um, so, yeah, I'm sure there'll be lots more to come from the Royals on mental health work in the future. And I'm sure we will talk about it again. But I wanted to celebrate a couple of bits of good news this week out in the world. Um, Russell's favourite person, other than me, obviously, and Mrs. Myers also, um, <laughs> Captain Tom. Yeah, Colonel Tom. Colonel Tom, Colonel Tom now. He well, no, a colonel. Well, and he will be he Sir will Tom. Be. But I know. But so this is this is an interesting thing. And um, both my husband and Debrett, who will be having on um, for a future episode. So thank you to everybody who has been sending in their questions so far about society and etiquette and aristocracy and all of that kind of posh stuff. Um, if you do still have any more, send them over to podsavethequeen at trinitymirror.com or contact us at podsave on Twitter or Instagram. Some great questions so far, but room for a few more. So do send them over if you get a moment. Anyway, when you are both a captain or colonel and a sir, what do you get called? 
So I was like, will he be Colonel Sir Tom? At which point my husband said, no, he will not be. He will be Captain Sir Tom because it is an honorary colonelship, not an actual one. Right. Okay. Well, at least uh, Ben's still keeping us in check with uh, our colonels and our captains. But he will be. He will be Sir Tom, and I think that. Listen, the whole the whole world has got behind it. An incredible, incredible achievement. I think it's given us some uh, some space space between the clouds of doom that is seemingly being upon us for the last few weeks. And it's certainly, I think, his message this week was particularly poignant. Captain Tom was talking about. The fact that he has started something, everybody has recognised that, but it's up to the younger generation. Um, I mean, and that includes everyone below him, really, doesn't it? But it's up to the younger generation to actually make this work. And, uh, and when we do come out of this, we will be in a very, very different world. And whether that means that you will be friendlier to your neighbours, you will check in on your, your, your elderly relatives who need their shopping doing, you will be kinder to people. I think that the messages have come through um, his tremendous achievements and what he symbolises, and certainly the royal family have uh, have been no different to everybody else in how uh, amazed they have been. Certainly that they've uh, been sending him messages way before he was uh, recommended to for his knighthood. Um, and then the, the, obviously the next step will will be how he is going to have the knighthood um, bestowed upon him because. It, one would assume that the Queen won't be doing it. All investitures have been cancelled this year. So there, are, as, as far as I'm aware, the Palace are having conversations behind the scenes with themselves and with Sir Tom's family in, in a, order to work out how they can actually um, uh, do the knighthood and whether it will be uh, remotely, will it be at his home, who will be doing it? I suppose you've got a, a list of candidates Probably the Queen Charles and um, and and William are all up for it at that at, uh, at this point in time. Just need an extra long sword. Well, you perfect for social distance. It, social, it is. I did think about this today. You could probably do it social distance, but the um, obviously the fact the fanfare that will be uh, associated with it it will 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 need to be considered as well, and how that can be um, you know safe safe for everybody in a socially distant world. So um, I'm sure I'll be able, able to update you in the next week or so with with that. Um, with, and and uh, I, one would assume it will be before long. And I think, so thinking back to VE Day, I don't think I mentioned this on the sort of the VE Day, post VE Day show that we did, there was during the, um, the, the TV coverage of, you know, looking back on VE Day and celebrating the people who had made such a contribution during the Second World War, there was a lady, I think she'd been in the Navy, and she was eligible for a medal of some description, but she'd never actually received it, and there was meant to be receiving it, but it was all socially distanced, and, and, it ended up being they were doing it as part of this show so I think she was there with like her granddaughter um and you know the gentleman turns up in his in his smart uniform to hand over the medal puts the medal down on the gate post and she sort of picks it up but the whole of the estate had turned out to you know they were essentially giving it the uh, clap for clap for carers Thursday night saucepans banging and all of this kind of stuff to make it a, a special celebration so it is interesting how we are finding new ways to celebrate special things in changed circumstances a bit like we were talking about last week with mm. the wedding question um anyway also more good news of the week and let's face it we all like good news at the moment um great news for princess eugenie and all of her family her husband jack's dad george 
had been really, really, really poorly in intensive care with coronavirus. And he is now, he sent a message of, of thanks to the NHS for saving his life, essentially, and, and looking after him and getting him through it. So he said, um, the point I really want to get across is that I think the NHS is absolutely magnificent. The way I was treated was incredible. Nothing was too much trouble. And at no point did I get a sense of a shortage of doctors or nurses or any impression that the service was in any way overwhelmed. There was always somebody at hand. I want to offer profound thanks to everyone who was involved. It was a real eye opener for somebody who has not been in hospital before for any length of time. I certainly owe them my life. So, well, certainly, he, I mean, George Brooks was was not only in hospital for about nine weeks; he was on a ventilator for for five weeks, and that tells you how serious it is. And his family had essentially been told to prepare for the worst. So it's um. It's fantastic news that uh, he has re regained his health and, um, and and paid and rightly paid tribute to the doctors and nurses who were, who were looking after him. Princess Eugenie has been pretty active on Instagram all through this time and done a lot of sort of celebrating the nice things that people are doing for um, for NHS workers in particular and has got involved with some volunteering herself. She, she shared some pictures of her and Jack down at the Salvation Army sorting out some some parcels and things and you know sort of knowing that she had all of that stuff going on behind the scenes and and things kind of puts a bit more bit more emotion I guess yeah, all, of that, yeah. Um, all of what she's been sharing and how much it means to her I guess um Sophie Wessex you've been talking about as well like how much she's yeah, been doing in general I have actually I think well I think it's it stems from the fact that people uh you know royal fans will certainly be interested at, at about Sophie's work and it's it's nothing new to the people who know about it but on the sort of wider scale of people who may dip in and dip out on sort of royal news um unfortunately we we can only cover so much you know can only be in so many places at and, and so many times but Sophie's work really has is sort of been the bedrock of what the royal family's been about for a long time you know she she does things with uh, children's hospices with women's and girls' rights to education. I mean, it's sort of a, um, it's something that Meghan was was doing and had been been getting a lot of plaudits for. But Sophie's actually been doing this stuff with the UN and other agencies for the best part of twenty years. Uh, certainly, a lot a lot of her patronages go back way back to sort of two thousand two two thousand three, and she'd only become a sort of full full time working royal again, sort of a year or two before that. But I have actually, I've been um, speaking with, had the pleasure of speaking with, I should say, if, um, uh, with a group called the Shooting Star Children's Hospice, and they uh, cater for 800 seriously ill children and their families in the London and sort of southeast area. And unfortunately, um, such is the nature of the pandemic. They have had a, a two million pound black hole in their finances uh, due to the coronavirus crisis. And essentially what has happened is because of the amount of events and, and it's obvious when you think about it, but I don't think a lot of people are, are aware of this because of the mass cancellation of events like you've got the London Marathon loads of fundraising events, summer fates, balls, summer balls that um, these ch charities have, which create hundreds of thousands, if not millions of pounds worth of funding, uh, have all been cancelled. And so this is what charities like the hospice, um, the Shooting Star Children's Hospice, and many other such hospices in the UK 
uh, they, they rely on that funding and the fact that they are not happening has forced them to close one of their centres in London, which is an absolutely massive, massive shame. Um, they're still providing their full range of services. They're actually taking things online. But when you're the, the people that we're speaking to at the palace, that Sophie has been um, a patron for an awful uh long time now Charles and Camilla opened the centre in 2006 Kate has visited in the past and you've got um people like Simon Cowell and uh, former Spandau Ballet's uh, frontman Tony Hadley are really really invested with it as well so all these people have campaigned for an awful long time but the bottom line is they they need the money so they have um, launched a coronavirus appeal which we are supporting which you can check out on their website which is shootingstar.org forward slash coronavirus appeal um and it's been a real pleasure to find out sort of how well, how sophie operates very much under the radar um very much sort of roll your, roll your sleeves up and get on with it and without fanfare often without camera crews and um and I think we will see a lot more of Sophie because she's been, I mean, she's been described as the Royal South family's secret weapon in all of this. And I think because she knows this, she knows the, um, the way that charities need help. She knows the way that the Royal family works. She's very, very good with the media and hopefully she can um, use her platform to, to sort of shine a light on these really, really important courses. She's definitely going to be a Royal to watch in the coming weeks and months. I found particularly interesting this week, I think our listeners have noticed over the course of lockdown that we've talked rather more about gardening than we ever did beforehand, um, but I found that who got to share their favourite flowers for the Chelsea Flower Show update was particularly interesting, it's kind of an unusual combination of people and it tended to be the older generation, you know we didn't sort of have a, a William and Kate's favourite flower or all the, all the little Cambridges, maybe sunflowers all around for those, I would have thought. But um, we, we found out that the Queen, well, we should actually clarify that it is, the Royal also share their favourite flowers at the moment. So the things that you would see in gardens of, at of the, the moment. Of the season. Of is the it? season, yes. Because there had been talk that in the past, the Queen's favourite flowers were primroses. And that may well still be the case because the primroses have finished. They're for the, a little bit earlier in the spring. Anyway. Well, you learn something new every day with this, with, with, with what's going on at the moment. And certainly, with the, the, the Queen said her favourite flower of the moment is the lily of the valley, which it, um, comes from England. And that's the reason why she chose it in her coronation bouquet. Bouquet? Bouquet, yes. Bouquet. Yeah, not, not a bucket. <laughs> and then, um, which but I didn't I realise, it was made up of different flowers. Uh, comprising of orchids and lilies of the valley from England. You, you'll know these. I'm, I'm just, look at this, I'm useless. Stephanotis from Scotland. Yeah, I think that's the little uh, like baby's breath, the tiny little ones, I think, but I'm not orchids sure. Orchids from Wales and carnations from Northern Ireland and the Isle of Man. So I know lily of the valley from growing up in Cornwall and I do associate it with springtime. And have you heard of the floral dance, Russell? No, funny so enough. Terry Wogan famously had a hit single with the music of the floral dance, but basically it's a, it's a springtime ritual and celebration that happens in Helston each year where you have the kids go dancing through the streets dressed up all pretty. And then you is this in Cornwall? This is in Cornwall, in Helston. And the grown-ups go dancing through the streets dressed up all pretty and they wear lily of the valley. But mainly, so 
you know, I've described the floral dance as being like a lovely, beautiful day out. And when it's sunny, it's great. But when you go on a school trip, inevitably, rains. <laughs> as you well know, that is the first rule of school trips. In this England. is a window into your youth, isn't it? You're it, it flower is. dancing and eating, oh, and eating scones with, this is full further controversy in the scone jam cream wars. And I need, I, I feel like I need a trumpet because... I feel like royalty because it has <laughs> been it has been revealed this week from the Queen's Baker, no less, that the Devon way is the way that the Queen prefers her scones. I can see Anne's face looking yeah. at me with absolute disdain at the moment. I, I'm sure we have spoken about this on the on the show in the past, possibly when I made scones a couple of weeks ago. But in Cornwall. It's jam first because you are proud of your cream and you put the cream on the top. Well, I think I mean, arguably it may royal, be messier to eat the royal it that way. Cook has spoken, I'm afraid, and my uh, my Devon preference has won the day on this occasion. I've never interjected in a podcast before. But the queen <laughs> is wrong. <laughs> I'm, being, I'm being ganged up on. Well, I've got royalty <laughs> on my side, so I think that settles the matter. Well, we're Cornish mafia, so <laughs> we're in trouble. <laughs> Um, anyway, so yeah, I'm sure there will be there will be some interesting fun to be had. I did share it on to our colleagues who work in the Devon and Cornwall newsroom so that they can uh, restart oh, their, very good. their very Tamar good. War. And most importantly, I have put up a poll on the Instagram to see what our listeners think about whether you should put the jam on first or the cream on first. Either way, smash cream. it all up in a bowl. It tastes yeah, delicious. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, so the Queen had Lily of the Valley. Uh, yep. We had Prince Charles's incredible delphiniums, and they have gone straight on the shopping list for growing in the garden next year. And, and I was able, the husband was like, I want these next year. It's like, it's all right, don't worry, I'm already on the case. They look fantastic. Um, so incredible how tall those ones are. But uh, so I, <laughs> good luck to me trying to repeat that. Uh, we had some azalea from Sophie and Edward, which was brightly coloured and, and very nice. Princess Anne sharing hellebores. That kind of made me laugh. There's something really spiky and slightly weird and Harry Potter-ish about um, hellebores, I find. Russell's looking baffled. I'm just, no, I'm just looking. I, I, and they are beautifully marked with endless variations, she said. Well, Shapeshifters. Well, I started thinking that, you know, it, that they remind me of Harry Potter. And then I started thinking that actually I could see Princess Anne as a teacher at Hogwarts. And then I was thinking that probably what she would be teaching as an equestrian is broomstick riding. <laughs> These are all the not to be confused with witches, surely. No, but broomstick sport. No, no, indeed, it's important work. And then there was the uh, the Duke of Gloucester who likes to dig up daisies. <laughs> it's just I mean, me it's just from the sublime to the ridiculous now. It made me laugh. And the Duchess sweet peas. Sweet peas, they remind me of my granny as well. So the lily of the valley and the sweet peas, they remind me of my granny. Sweet peas smell fabulous. And I have been out in the garden this morning. My sweet peas are about two inches tall currently. So there is hope, but I think forgive, I may have planted them the ignorance. wrong time. Forgive my you can You can eat these sweet peas, I take it, or not? The flowers. All oh, right, so not like a pea nice. in a pod. No, different. All oh, right. Mm. Sorry. Can you grow what? peas? In are, you, are, you growing, are you growing any peas? They're, they're the ones I've not planted yet. So interesting. You're interested in like what you can grow edible in the garden. Is that your like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I'm all about the, yeah, the, what can you grow? 
Well, sweet peas, if they grow, they are beautiful and smell delicious. But I think I may have got my timing wrong, so we'll see. Watch this space. And to Julie Thomas, who kindly inquired after my lupins via the Instagram a little earlier this week. Thank you very much. They're doing okay. I think one of them's been eaten by the woodlice, but, you know, we press You on. need to be tagging some of your flowers in the, Chelsea, the virtual Chelsea Flower Show. Well, I have tried this morning. So there's some, the, the peonies in the garden are looking quite spectacular at the moment. So they are on the Depod Save Instagram. And I have put a couple on the Insta stories this week as well. But they are gone. So if you've seen them, if you've not seen them, you've missed them. Gone. <laughs> have to be alert. Anyway. And um, Camilla likes foliage. I was underwhelmed by her choice. Foliage? Yeah, well, when it's not foliage, it's got some fancy name, but I looked at it. It was all green with a bit of... Alchemelia mollis. Yeah, I was underwhelmed. Anyway, um, Prince Charles stepped in as well on the fruit and veg front this week. Yeah, so in Britain, we have a huge shortage. And I imagine this is potentially going on in other countries as well. But certainly in Britain, where we rely on a huge proportion of migrant workers to carry on, carry out our seasonal work, picking our fruit and veg, uh, we need about 80,000 people to come forward and pick the harvest. Um, and so Prince Charles, obviously a keen environmentalist, keen gardener, has come forward to uh, lend his support to the campaign which is called Pick for Britain, um, which is actually a really, really serious campaign because if these, uh, if the harvest doesn't get picked, obviously it's going to go to waste. Um, and there's huge issues with getting produce into the country at the moment, whether it's by plane, train or automobile at the moment. And they, we have a huge support uh, shortage of labour owing to uh, Brexit. Um, owing to a lot of the migrant population going um, back to their home nations when the coronavirus crisis was hitting because they probably thought quite rightly that they were not going to be able to move um, once lockdown came into force. And now it seems that we have a massive, massive shortage. So part of the um, campaign is to try and get people who are either out of work or who have been furloughed from their jobs at the moment to join the nation in, uh, in picking the harvest for Britain. Now, on the one hand, that is fantastic that they've backed it, and the other, it's come into some controversy because it is kind of sort of a landowner telling people to come forward and pick the crops. Peasants. Of, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, peasants form a line. I was quite um, amused at some of the comments probably the less rude ones uh, about Prince Charles backing this campaign. But I can understand where people coming from. One of my favourites was possibly one of the chaps who, uh, who tweeted me to say, I'll sign up 15 seconds after he does. <laughs> <laughs> but I suppose he is, tw he is 71 years old. And this is, um, you know, it's, it's very uh, arduous and, and tough work. So we do need uh, an army of people to come forward and pick the harvest. So it will be interesting to see how this government campaign backed by the royal family uh, pans out. But yeah, maybe a throwback to a bygone era of a, uh, of a king speaking to his presence. Uh, peasants didn't go down too well with certain people. No, it was, it was interesting because it, it, there was two things. There was that that flagged an issue with me. And then it's just like, but how? Where, where, because often when you get the migrant workers come in, they will live on site or in the area in this kind of, you know, temporary accommodation that they're able to, to have. And it's it, like, it's an industry and the number of people that you'd have doing it. And how, how does that even work in this new world in which we are in? And the, the sort of, 
if I'm signing up for this, what other practicalities? But then it did also remind me of the week that I spent as a strawberry picker again in my in my childhood, Russell, in Cornwall. It was a it's just, it's a trip down memory lane this episode. I know, it is. But it does open up a lot of questions, and I think rightly, rightly so. People are asking uh, those tough questions, as in, what will happen in the future? Not to get too political, but, but but because of Brexit, but because of the situation that we may even find ourselves in in the brave new world post coronavirus, is where will these people come from? What does it mean for British farmers? Uh, will they then get bailouts because of what is happening as well? And is it right that the royal family do back these kind of campaigns? I think on the one hand, it's great that Prince Charles is is backing it because he is a essentially a, a farmer. He is he, backed organic farming in the past and what that means about British produce. He's always backed uh, and supported Britain's farmers. Um, but whether it is appropriate in the in the current climate for him to be doing that, anyway, it, the, the problem isn't going to go away. So it will be uh, it will be interesting to see how it pans out. Get William and Kate down the down down picking. Take the kids. We'll be fine. Well, she there was a uh, they released a new photograph of her with working at the Chelsea Flower Show, getting all muddy and grubby with her uh, her pumps and her gloves on. So maybe maybe you never know. Maybe they will put the gloves on and get muddy. Picking our strawberries and our carrots by since, royal appointment, no less. Since you're mentioning um, pictures that have been shared by mm. the royal family, and thank you also to Denise who got in touch to check that I had seen the lovely picture of the Queen in a sort of caped um, style back in the day at uh, Chelsea Flower Show. So that was great to see. But it has been pointed out that uh, happy anniversary to Meghan and Harry, second anniversary this week, Cotton but it went unremarked on the royal social media accounts. What do you make of this, Russell? About the co- cotton? No, so not about the cotton. Russell just got distracted. Sorry, I'm sessions. Just... <laughs> what were you asking? <laughs> you must have been terrible when you were at school. Oh, I just, I the am fly now. just I'm gone exactly past. exactly the same, exactly. So the royal family did not appear to mark the Sussexes' wedding anniversary. Yes. Whereas they do normally mark you know, birthdays, anniversaries and celebrate special days. Yeah, I don't know, because it was it was um, the Cambridge's 11th anniversary recently, wasn't it? And I don't think they marked that. So I, I know that certainly there wasn't anything from the palace to given to, to us or put on their social media that we covered. So I suppose it's a second year anniversary. Fair enough, your first one or something that's major five or ten, but maybe your second isn't too much of a big deal. So well, maybe I didn't see it, too much of an issue with it. Maybe we just feel it more because Kensington Royal did share something on the anniversary and they were able to say, you know, thank you for your kind messages and happy memories and, and what, I've, what have you. And they did just share a little message and with royal fans as such. But at the moment, Meghan and Harry, because they are sort of between their royal roles and starting their new jobs, they haven't got that Sussex Royal account anymore to have that direct which I imagine that they're that they're missing because it is a it's a it's a uh, a way of connecting with millions of people who are obviously interested in them they've had that taken away from them because they couldn't launch so we couldn't keep Sussex Royal Archwell is obviously on the back burner for the foreseeable future um uh, whether that comes out in the next few months and starts working with charities that are really suffering because of the coronavirus, one would 
assume that is their um, that is their plan. But I think they've got to be careful because we are we're still in this situation where people don't know what the future is going to look like, and they and they they will need to be careful to target their energies in the appropriate ways because things are moving so very very uh, quickly, um, and the world is looking quite different day to day at the moment isn't it so god knows what it's going to look like in september october when you would presume that they will be ready to launch uh, archwell whether they will be even able to travel i can't imagine we'll see them in the uk till what next spring you would imagine um and so therefore um we'll have to wait and see so me talking, I think it was possibly last week, saying I felt sort of, I felt quite disconnected from the Sussexes now. And actually thinking about it, maybe that is partly just because they aren't, aren't there on the social media. And I have just checked your homework. You're correct. I couldn't see anything from the royal family no. about William and Kate's anniversary. Um, I just thought I'd share this message that um, lots of tots commented on um, the pictures that I shared from Meghan and Harry's big day, which I just thought was actually quite true somehow somehow the cambridge's anniversary made it feel like the wedding was not long ago even though it's been nearly a decade but with the sussexes it feels like it's been a decade and it's only been two years congratulations to them both i'm happy to see they're being low-key they need that so well they packed an awful lot into the two years or less than two years didn't they i mean 16 to 18 months uh it was right up until the the, the tour and then they, they went away for an awful long time in November and then they came back and left. So, they, I mean, they've been the fake focus of our attentions very, very intensely for that period. Um, and then when you sort of look back about how long that Kate got to really get started, it took her an awful long years, whereas Megan was trying to, to do everything um, very, very quickly and did manage it to, to a certain extent. Um, but uh, all, all their attentions will be towards Archwell now. So um, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see what happens. Well, happy anniversary to them. I meant to bring my lovely uh, book with information about the cotton anniversary, but I forgot. I think it's, I will, I will maybe belatedly share that. I'll save it for, I'll save it for Eugenie instead. Um, so what do we have to look forward to, Russell? What do we have to look forward to? Well, we have uh, Prince Charles is going to be a DJ for the day. He is go he's going to uh, Classic FM, no less. And he will Our be stable mates on the Global Player. So very much so. Download the Global Player be... app and you will be able to listen to Prince Charles doing his Classic FM stuff next week, I think, on Monday and Tuesday. He's got, a com he's got an interview with Alan Titchmarsh, housewife's favourite, and also a gardener. So this is just going to be like two brilliant things coming together hopefully the world of gardening and the world of royalty and the world of some music thrown in as well yeah and well he's, he's doing that'll be next monday and tuesday um which i'm looking forward to so hope, I, I don't know if he's going to be spinning some tunes but it's gonna it's gonna be quite interesting the interview speaking about obviously his environmental credentials no doubt uh, making comment on the uh, the difference of the world that we are in at the moment and the uh, the way in which that has affected um, environmental concerns. He's certainly spoken in the past few weeks about how this is a real big opportunity for everybody to really take stock of the climate emergency that he's, uh, that he's obviously very, very invested in. Um, and when you're hearing reports that there's been huge um, reduction in the levels of uh, certain pollutions, the way that certain flowers or wildlife are coming back to rivers and 
we'd spoken about it previously about in the uh, the Venice canals they're seeing new wildlife because all the cruise ships and boats aren't there um, so this is a really big opportunity so no doubt we will expect him to be uh, speaking um, about it uh, along those lines. I'm not sure whether you spin tunes if you are playing um, classical pieces of music by orchestras but I don't on know. On the decks. Oh, on the decks. The wheels of steel. I'll have to ask the Mr. Debrett's man how to, to how to talk about classical music. <laughs> yeah, it probably isn't like my, me, to be honest. No, Mr. Ibiza <laughs> or something, whatever you are. Um, so that's that's next week to look forward to. And there's another instalment of uh, Prince William and football to come as well. Yes, this is the documentary uh, Prince William Football and Our Mental Health. Um, Essentially, the, the BBC had been following him around for a year and I've been to, to a couple of these engagements. The last one was at Football Club West Bromwich Albion in the Midlands uh, in England, um, where he was speaking to a couple of players who had been directly affected by suicide in their families. One was uh, a, a dear friend of uh, one of the players and another one was their cousin who had sadly taken their lives. And... Um, Whenever I've been on these sorts of jobs or, or, or listened to William speaking about it, it obviously is not only connected into the mental health arena, but he, he definitely does have a vested interest in trying to make the world a better place and, and to try and break down those barriers that, of the taboo subject, certainly around the, the macho world of sport. Um, men are particularly at risk of suicide in, in the, under, under the age of 40. Um, and probably don't speak about their feelings as much as they should. And this is the continuing vein of it's okay not to be okay. You should seek um, support. Certainly what they're doing with our frontline and the Mental Health Minute fits into that about reaching out to people yourself if you're feeling under the weather or also making sure that you're keeping in touch with other people that you think could be feeling like that. So BBC One is uh, doing the documentary, which will be on Thursday, the 28th. I don't know how you can view it across the world, but I'm sure there will be other platforms that will be showing it. And uh, and rest assured, we will be featuring it a lot on uh, in the paper and on the website. And if you haven't already, do sign up to the newsletter. If you go to mirror.co.uk slash email and then hit on the royal button and anything else that takes your fancy as well. And you can get a daily roundup of all the royal headlines sent over to you. Uh, our friend Zoe Forsey puts it together most days. You'll get some of Russell's work, some of hers and other, our other esteemed colleagues as well to keep you up to date with what the royals are up to. So Russell, what, if, what have you got planned for bank holiday weekend? Have you got something nice? I don't know. I think uh, the missus is going to get me building a barbecue. Oh then, lordy my! Look out! And this oh. is this is impending divorce, I would say, because I'm just not I'm just not very good at concentrating most of the time. So <laughs> well, as I can imagine, a two hour a two hour session of putting up a barbecue is going to absolutely uh, destroy our relationship. But um, yeah, pray for me. <laughs> well, Russell, good luck with that. Yeah. If, you're, if you're still alive next week, we yeah. will catch up and find out how it went in the show um listeners do send over your questions for debrettes in the meantime pod save the queen at trinitymirror.com but most of all in this unusual time please do look after yourselves reach out to people if you need help or if you haven't heard from someone in a while like we've been advised to this week do just check in with them say hi and check they're okay and maybe just reconnect with some old friends but wherever you are thank you for listening take care and until next time.
Pod save the queen! 